Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Somebody has said they like angry Mike Davidson as a host of the Total Beaches show more than regular Mike Davidson. Well, I'm sorry you're not getting your wish today because I'm anything but angry. Our guest today is going to be somebody that isn't afraid to tell Mike Davidson where to fees off. <laughs> and he's not afraid to be angry. Yeah. Um, TJ Bratt's going to join the show a little bit later. It's episode 32 of the Total Beaches show. Producer Chris is across the table. I'm back in studio. It's been a great run. I still double down on last week's show. I do believe a certain wrestling company is coming to Winnipeg. I do believe they're coming to Canada Life Center. I also believe Tony Khan is the worst booker in the world. And I think William Regal deciding he wants to depart AEW to go back to WWE is indicative of that. He didn't even spend a year there. And he's probably thinking, I can't take this mark with money anymore. I need to go back to work before Triple H. And we'll see what happens with that because the the story that I've read and obviously it's online, so we got it's got to be true. Could be Dave Meltzer, so it might not be true. Uh, is that Regal still has a couple years that he signed initially a three year deal? So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. It does not surprise me at all that William Regal's like fuck this, or sorry, fees this. Yeah, fees this. Um, I would think this. If William Regal goes to Tony Khan and he says, listen, this isn't working, he probably approached Tony Khan as a gentleman the whole time he was there. He probably didn't say what he truly thought, which was, what is this guy doing? And he's probably gone to him and said, listen, time things have changed. Vince is gone. I'm very good friends with Triple H. I have an opportunity to go there in a, and it could be that he could probably leave all elite wrestling and do a non-wrestling role. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it's, I I suppose it remains to be seen what happens because Tony Khan hasn't let anybody out of their contracts early yet. Um, He should let William Regal out. 100%. William Regal going back to WWE is not going to move the needle either way for either company, but he's going to be used way better in WWE. He's going to be able to help the younger talent a lot better because they're going to be a little more receptive to his style because William Regal is not the the flippy guy. He's not the, you know, seven 720 split off the top rope to the outside. Like he wants to tell a story in the ring. And it seems like not a lot of guys and gals in AEW are sort of interested in that style anymore. It's a tough spot for Tony Khan because if he holds them hostage essentially and says, you've signed a contract, you're going to live to it, which he has every right to do. You then have all those guys that are loyal to William Regal that may not forgive Tony Khan for doing that. And that, that there's already, you know, as a high tensions, as opposed to, Hey, William Regal was going to, my vision for what you could have been didn't come to fruition, much like Vince did with Ric Flair in 91, 92, when he let him go back to be to WCW and he said, Hey, you can't be in a wrestling role. So maybe it's, Hey, you cannot work on camera. You can only consult, but for two years, you're, you know, you're not going to be sticking it to us by being an on camera role, but I think you let William Regal go to where William Regal will be happy so that you don't look like a, a spoiled child. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, but it just shows AEW is off the rails. What's amazing, I'm going to say though, what's amazing is I saw a promo that I loved from All Elite. Yeah. It was Billy Gunn and the um, 
The acclaimed. The acclaimed, yeah. And they did the drill sergeant promo, and it was perfect. Yeah. It was more entertaining than anything the elites are doing. And it's funny because I know how you love to defend Don Callis because you're a Don Callis lover. You, I, I, I've been so hard on Don Callis. I had a friend. You at, were hard on Don Callis? Oh, definitely not last week because on you, this show you've been hard on yeah, Don Callis. I was always making these little remarks, and a friend of mine, a friend of the show, is like, what, "What's your problem with Don Callis?" I was like, "I don't have a problem." He's like, "Well, you make these snarky little remarks." I didn't realize I was making them, but apparently I was. No, I'm not. I'm I've not, never heard them. I'm not a Don Callis lover. I just Apologist. I think he's a he's a I think he has potential to be uh, somebody who can. And you're a hundred percent wrong. Who could contribute? He could he could own on the mic. He could own on the mic. No, he couldn't. But he doesn't because he's too busy getting himself over. He could, he's not getting over though. No, but he's trying to. He could get. He could get. A, <laughs> I'm going to stop doing that to you. He could get a talent over. Anyways, where were we going with you're this? You're a Don Callis lover. Okay, sure. Let's go with that. I'm saying that Billy Gunn oh, acclaimed, is no, a better manager than Don Callis. I would agree with that right now. Number two. One uh, thing Billy Gunn is doing is he's getting the guys he's managing over at the, all costs. The acclaimed are doing a lot of interesting things. I just think you're missing them. But but he also did it when he managed his his sons. Yeah. The Gun Club. And they didn't get over. I, I think they actually, considering what they start, like they were just his kids. That's all they had coming in on their contract. Compared to Brock Anderson, I think the gun club got way more over. Oh, more, yeah. And but, I think the gun club was more over than Brian Pillman Jr. and the varsity partner there. I don't even know the other guy. I don't, I don't know either. Uh, uh, but but you know uh, you know who who's, you're going to hate this, but who's who's gotten the gun club over more than anybody is your favorite wrestler, Danhausen. He's the one who coined the Ass Boys thing on his vlog. He started featuring them on his vlog, and and you got a chance to see that these guys are super fun because they have got it. They have their father's sense of humor. They have Billy Gunn's sense of humor, and so they went. They they go along with it. They heal on it, but you can tell it's a little bit like a little wink at the Danhausen. You say Danhausen. So okay, can I wrestler. ask you? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So you are a part of three guys cl- fan clubs mm-hmm. in All Elite. Which one's your favorite, Doctor Luther Danhausen or Don Callis? Danhausen. Oh, really? No question. Is is he the most successful of the three? Is that why you picked him? He might. Yeah, actually, he might be. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say that. Don Callis has sort of been everywhere, but I would say, yeah, probably Danhausen's probably one of the most successful. Probably the most successful of those three. Yeah, I'm going to sure. change speeds on you right here out of nowhere. Do it. Let's do Rick it. Rick Flair wants to be in the Royal Rumble. Please no. Yeah, I I have no interest in seeing that. Like ze- I have less than no interest. So when he helped his son-in-law Conrad Thompson get a big payday with that he match helped, on paper, he helped himself get a big payday. Yeah, but Conrad, the businessman, made a lot of money. Yeah, he didn't take his shirt off. It, that entire that entire buildup was painful, and I encouraged people to watch it. But I don't encourage him to go into the Royal Rumble. No, it was really bad. I discouraged WWE from considering it. I would tell fans, do not buy the Royal Rumble thinking you're going to see Ric Flair do anything worthwhile. He's not going to win it. I hate to break it to you. If Ric Flair wants to do a Rumble, he should call Danny Duggan and get into the 2023 Rumble to remember. Remember. Speaking of that, Danny just did that in Winnipeg a few, about 10 days ago, nine, yep. eight, eight days ago. Big crowd, huge crowd. I heard great things about it. Danny Duggan won the Rumble, to remember, only because I didn't go in it because I was not going to let him win. That's right. And it's now going to be Danny Duggan versus Mentalo. Apparently, that's the first time ever <laughs> for the CWE heavyweight it, title. Is I it really? Thought, I, that's what I heard. Okay. <laughs> I was just reading that on Facebook, but you can put anything on Facebook. That's true. Um, so, yeah, flare into the Royal Rumble. He has got to be joking. Um 
it would be one thing if Hulk Hogan said he wanted to do the Royal Rumble, even though we all know he couldn't do it physically. But like people, I I still believe that Rick, what Ric Flair does now is ridiculous. He it's, yeah, it's partying with young people, and young people want to be like Ric Flair of 1986. But Ric Flair isn't 1986 anymore. He's 40. He's literally 86. Yeah, he's almost 40 years past that. Yeah. So it's it's crazy it's questionable i think if i was vince mcmahon right now i'm just bee cheesing here well, so just just hold up for a second okay here. because i think what's what spurred on rick flair to want to do the rumble uh and and come back again is because ricky steamboat came back and did a match yeah but and he just did a match uh, how many eight days nine days yeah ago. not very long ago and it looked i mean i hate to crap on rick flair because he crapped it himself enough with that match but Ricky Steamboat looked really good compared to Rick. He didn't look. I think he was in a protected situation, though. But that's where Ric Flair should have been. Ric that's, Flair thought he was in a protected situation, wasn't it? Him, him and Andrade against Jeff Jay, Jarrett and, and Jay Lethal, wasn't it? Yeah, like yeah. he thought he was in a protected it, it, situation. Yeah, but he tried to do more than he was capable of doing. Uh, Ricky Steamboat did what he was capable of doing, and he was still threw a couple crazy good-looking arm drags. Yeah. Now, if I can continue to be she's because I I didn't see anything the Steamboat did. If I was Vince McMahon right now and I wanted to be relevant in this day and age, I would do a reality TV show, Ric Flair, Vince McMahon, and some other crazy old man that's still around the wrestling business. And it would be them chasing young chicks that they they pay hush money to after they sleep with them. Legends House. Well, different than Legends House. But, I, I put them in a condo that's like a one bedroom <laughs> and a couch, and and they. I would do something ridiculous like that. I like the idea of Vince McMahon being on like a Legends House type show. That would be. I think. I he, don't think he would do it, but it'd be gold. I wonder what he what's going on in his head now. Like he's never going to be back in WWE. He's never like he might get a ovation at WrestleMania. He's got to be bored. Well, like, he, everything you ever heard was he was a workaholic. Exactly. That's so. What either he's penning an autobiography, or he's like, there's that picture that went around the internet of him on a date. Wasn't Linda? Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I wonder. Like I he's, I hope it wasn't an employee. By, by now he's got to be starting some other sort of business. Like, well, I I only worked with one maniac like that and his name was Jeff Dick and trust me Vince is a little bit more successful than Jeff Dick although Jeff Dick once told Scott Steiner that he knew business better than Vince but that's a different story but I know Jeff Dick could never stop like okay so one business isn't going to go forward he had the next business plan written like he would be sitting at his whiteboard and I'd be like oh no <laughs> what now yeah I, I, I just want you to come in here and hear this idea okay <laughs> and then you had no like it could be anything anybody who ever went through a, that time of Jeff Dick's life it was like he wanted to start business after business after business to keep throwing it against the wall eventually he, and every every path led to him being a billionaire on that whiteboard yes like he it was like he woke up every day i'm going to be a billionaire and this is the path today and then when that didn't work tomorrow this is the path and then the next day this is the path that was jeff dick you got to kind of respect that oh i loved it yeah because like all you had to do is tell him any idea that would be fun to do that could be a little bit successful and he wanted to do it and he would ta- he would say let's do it like see it. those are the type of people you like to be around if you have an entrepreneurial spirit like, yes. like you do and like I do. I don't know if I do anymore. No? No, I, I love my life the way it is. I don't like to do... I I don't know, man. I'm a creature of routine, man. I don't know. I, I, I keep hearing these stories. What? 
that you're starting up and, and that I'm being kept in the dark. Wouldn't about. you be the first to know? Would, you talk to me more about wrestling than anybody. I would hope so, but I'm, I'll get, I'm sure it's just the, you drop Leonard Asper's name once or twice on a podcast and people think he's like, no, yeah. no. And that, that's exactly it. I, I can't, Oh, he's, he's definitely starting up. And I'm like, no, he, he would have told me by if now. If I was going to start up and they tell me, Oh, he's just keeping you in the dark. Now, let me tell you something. If I was going to start up, tickets would be on sale before Christmas. Yeah, they would have been on sale Black Friday, even if the show was in January. Yeah, because you've 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 banged that drum so many times that you got to get the, get the tickets on sale right around Christmas. Time. Yeah, and you got to have a plan to start in January. People would know. No, uh, I didn't even give it any serious thought. But there was some people like I had somebody who said like you seem to know what you're what you're doing. How much would it take? And I just said it's not a matter of how much for me. I just don't really want to like when you love your life i love talking about the business and being the guy who never gets proven wrong because i didn't put my ass on the line so it's it i don't think it's gonna happen but i'll tell you something and this, and then we can go to break because i know you're gonna start getting on me about time <laughs> but i will tell you something the thing that this podcast did for me if i did want to start up is i was able to bring on and interview promoters that are doing it amazing I learned from talking to Danny Duggan in the interview that the current inflation rate is killing promoters. Yeah. I learned from uh, Harlan Abbott, heavy metal in Alberta, top talent, all the things he's doing right in terms of his graphic design that's leading to, to major returns. And Winnipeg Pro Wrestling, like how they're doing it, business plan first, stick to the plan and, and be true to yeah. your fans who are buying your tickets. Uh, Eric Cannon we had on, like... If in, in 30 some hours of, of total bees, if you're a wrestling fan who cares about the business of independent wrestling, there's a ton of great wisdom in those, in those episodes. And then we were funny and entertaining season one of total bees. show has been amazing. Yeah. And there, there is stuff for everybody in there. And if you, if you've ever wondered about the nuts and bolts of, of professional wrestling, especially or ribbing or ribbing <laughs> on the indie or shooting, you know, just build, building a company. Yeah. From the ground up, we've covered a lot of ground with a lot of really good people. I will say this at 43 years old, I'm going to be 44 in March. It feels to me like the window to do it is gone. Mm. I do not want to, I still don't like the idea of negotiating with wrestlers. I still don't, I don't, I don't have the same, like I used to almost have a stroke on WFX event day when I was, I was 12 years ago, 31 years old. Yeah. I can't imagine now at 43 having my heart race like that and having that pounding headache and the stress. And then there was 48 hours after every event where I had to, uh, decompress and I couldn't talk to people. And all I could do is focus on the things that didn't go right. And I just don't think I would put myself through that. And guys like geez, wheeze would love to hear that. Although Sean Brown would love it if I did do it. Uh, I like, I would love to consult yes. to a degree in the right situation, but having the, the pressure on myself, I don't know that I would. 43 years old, I have a near perfect life. I think that that might not be adding to the perfection of my life. But yeah, you know. I, I, I don't blame you one bit. One thing I did see that was kind of interesting though, like our, it's a company out of Edmonton. It's called Love Pro Wrestling. And they just released the 2023 season pass. So it's $275 per ticket gets you into all 11 events. So it works out to $25 a ticket. Yeah. Interesting idea. I'm a little skeptical of it. I'll tell you why. If you're going to do a season ticket concept, you're basically crowdsourcing your money ahead yes. of time. So you, you're working more with fixed budget and then whatever you get for, for event 
day tickets later. But so the 275, if I was going to look at spending that, I'd want to know what all the dates were. And I'd have to be a rabid fan. Like I'd have to believe I'm going to want to go to 11 dates. And I don't know what the CFL schedule is going to be or the Edmonton Oilers playoff schedule is going to be or whatever it is, right? So it's an interesting thing. They've got a venue at the rec room in Edmonton. I wonder why no one in Winnipeg's running the rec room. Yes. Not that I, as the promoter waiting promoter in waiting, is going to run there, but it's an interesting concept. 275 is an interesting number. You get some some spiffs on top of that. I, th- I think it's a fair deal. I, I don't know how popular it's going to be, but it also they're not losing anything by doing it. So I think it's, I sure. think it's, I think it's a smart thing If they to sell do. 10 of them, it's $3,000 in Christmas revenue. Exactly. But I don't know. Like, it was Darren Metzler who sent it to me. He was a guest on the show sure. back 10, 15 episodes ago. But it, I was like, I'm not seeing the value. Like, I don't even, like, other than you have your fixed venue, I guess... But I can't imagine someone's going to put out $275 in advance. Like it doesn't, as a promoter, I might put a package like that together, but I can't imagine I'm going to sell a bunch. Yeah. That, and that's, and that's maybe what they're going I would be with. more focused on like doing family packs per event. If it's all ages doing family packs and trying to really load my house with a bunch of new fans. I like the family packs idea yeah. just for individual shows, four tickets and Three popcorns and whatever, you know, yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah the popcorn's a good one. Yeah. Because I actually pitched that about one of the sports ventures in Winnipeg. There's like seven teams now that there's now a professional basketball team. And I said, you know, we're having trouble with attendance. Why in the world do we not consider like the family four pack, which they did consider, they just haven't figured out how to market it better. Yeah. So you got to, that's what I would be focusing on is um, two adults and two kids for $40, so yeah. it's $15 a ticket and they get, they get the spiff on top of that autographed, uh, autographed event poster. Popcorn and a soda. Yeah. Meet yeah. and greet, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's where we're at with that. And, and we do have a good interview with a guy who. Well, we don't know right. how it's going to be. Cause I, he's a loose cannon in, in his own right was a promoter though. If he's in a good mood, this is going to be a great interview. If I, if I say anything that ticks him off, this is going to go off the rails. Yeah. I'm, I'm already a little worried, but I am excited because I, this is a guy who in 2001 was the best baby face in the territory. And he made me the booker. I was because the most success I had was TJ Bratt versus MVP and people knew if I could do that with that that who knows what I could do with more and that's he put me on the launching pad I owe him a lot for that so coming up after the break TJ Bratt this episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by firstrow.ca Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards autographs from your favorites action figures and of course wrestling collectibles galore as a loyal Total B She Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code Bees She's. Again, the code is B E E Z S H E E Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. The Total B She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total B She's Show on Twitter at Total B She's, on Instagram at Total B She's, or search us on Facebook, Total B She's. (laughs) 
Another guest on the Total BC show that should come as no surprise. This guy is a guy who's been outspoken in his career, who's always spoken his version of the truth, and that's not to say it's not honest, and he's always somebody who's at the center of controversy. In fact, he called himself the loose cannon, TJ Bratt. It's an honor to have you on the show, Mr. Bratt. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on this uh, booming podcast that's taken off, and uh, thanks for having me on. And I will let you know that uh, it was a promoter that nicknamed me the Canadian Loose Cannon, and I ran with it, so uh, there's the lesson for the day. Well, and we're going to start right there. Which promoter called you the Canadian Loose Cannon? I could guess, but I'm going to ask you to tell me. It was quietly said by Chris McFarland from Ringmasters Entertainment. That would not uh, have been my guess. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's, uh, when I heard it, I said, you know what? And he said it very quietly to me, and I said, I think I'm going to use that. That's pretty good. So, okay, now I'm going to role play here for a second. So this is how it went down. You're in the locker room, and he comes up, and he says, hey, have you ever thought about being called the Canadian Loose Cannon? And you were like, I think I'm going to run with that. Why did he have to be secretive that's, about it? I, that's just the way he was. I think sometimes he thought everyone was listening, so he'd pull you <laughs> off into the corner. I'd pull you off into the corner and have a quiet chat with you and uh, probably make you feel even more important than you really were. Yeah, everything's confidential when people talk in that tone. Um, so you broke in in 2000 in Winnipeg with Bobby J's TRCW. How instrumental was Vance Nevada in the early part of TJ Bratt's career? You know, I was thinking about that earlier today, Mike, and Vance was like one or the other. He helped me out a great deal on what has to be done in this business, how to uh, get yourself booked. But when I started getting booked, even on some shows that he wasn't, that he wanted to be on, or I got to certain shows like uh, Tony Candelo's or Don Callis' shows going on, you know, within a year and it took him so long, uh, we kind of bumped heads at the time. But he gave me a lot of good, good advice. But then when when he thought I was kind of going off on my own, he kind of just kind of let me be. Okay. So Vance Nevada and TJ Bratt were a tag team called Explicit Content. When I came back to the territory in 2001, and uh, I remember teaming with Carver Gleason against you guys. You had this knack of always entertaining me when I was bumping and selling for you in Vance because you just, you would say something hilarious and then go right back into TJ Brack character of being that heel. And it was, <laughs> it was a lot. Like one time I ran around the ring before a lockup and you were like, I think you called me Steve Olsonowski and I couldn't keep a straight face <laughs> after that. So you knew how to you, know you knew how to have fun and still drop some funny lines in there, right? Well, yeah, you know what we had. I, I remember the one time when I, when I believe it was you and Vance about the shooting brand, and, and <laughs> yes. uh, you, know, you, you guys were angry for a good twenty seconds. And I went in there and I think I grabbed you in a a, a nice uh, little hole just to slow it down, and we had a good chuckle in the ring because uh, things were getting out of hand. But no, we had fun with that. And then uh, when you lost the tag team strap, that was a good rib. Yes. Uh, I mean, we get to give him a little bit of fun in the spotlight there, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so you the know, Vance, you don't think about the good times. I, I love the good times. So the Vance Nevada shoot went like this. Vance and I had wrestled each other several times over my career, and I told him, do not chop, chop me in the back. If you chop me in the back, I'm going to punch you in the kidney. And there were some swear words in there, but he had known because I had, I had for years told him, stop chopping me in the back. I consider it disrespectful. And what did he do in Brandon? He chopped me in the back and right away I went after his kidney and he immediately tagged out. And that's how I know Vance Nevada would, would back down if him and I ever got in a fight because I was ready to fight him <laughs> and he immediately tagged out. You came in. It was all good. You kept the peace. But yeah, no, I told him, do not chop me in the back. And he had to break that rule. Um, 
you go from being the top heel in or uh, the tag team, top, the top heel tag team, to being a babyface, something you thought would be impossible in 2001 in TRCW, and it lit the territory on fire. How did you like being a babyface? Did it come naturally to you? What are your memories about that? Great memories, actually. Great memories because you were like my coach back then. You're like my hockey coach, and that's what I needed in wrestling. And when I didn't have that, it kind of just turned into, oh, it's just a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. But when you were, you were coaching us back then, and it was good. And no, the first few times I said, Mike, you're nuts. But then it turned into a really good, good summer and a summer that, uh, you know, now that let's say 80% of us are done wrestling, can look back and say it was a special time for everyone. Oh yeah. It was the best I've ever seen locally because it was, I remember when Bobby got the venue, it was the Palladium nightclub in South Winnipeg. And it was the first time where women were coming to shows that the boys weren't bringing like girlfriends and friends of friends. It was the first time where women were walking in and paying to watch local wrestling. And I'll tell you, if you ever want a crew of guys to work hard, get some women to watch the show and they will work harder. And that's what happened. You were in the top angle against MVP, the underdog babyface who had, who would never give up and you played it perfectly. Um, I really think that that summer, that character, TJ Bratt was set to go on a tear locally. How do you remember that summer and then transitioning from there? Yeah, that summer was uh, like, it, the way it was booked through the whole summer was the lead up to the July uh, big show there. We had that uh, had a huge sellout crowd. And I really, really enjoyed working with MVP, even though that sometimes I don't get along with the personalities that were involved. Mm-hmm. It just shows that if you put that stuff aside, and you're, you're professional about it. I mean, we, we all worked together for about three months straight every Thursday night, building that angle up, and uh, no one got hurt out of it, and everyone uh, got over. Yeah, it's, a, it's the age-old truth in wrestling. Good heels need a great baby face, but you can't have a great baby face if you don't get the heat on the heels. And that's that was it was a cookie-cutter formula, and it worked perfectly. Um, from that time, you joined PCW, in 2002, do you have any reflections of that time? You were there a short time and then went back to Bobby J's TRCW. Yeah, I think I went back to Bob's at the time just to, uh, to get back to my comfort zone. But the uh, PCW was an uh, uh, amazing product to be a part of. And I had spent a few little trips uh, driving with John and getting to know John, uh, just the type of uh, person he was and the heart he was having. And... Uh, it was a good time. I think I just left out, like I said, to be back with the, the people that I had broke in with. And uh, I think something I might have taken, I would take back if I could go switch the clock around a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would have stayed with PW because then I uh, was wanting to come back to you guys, you know, five, six months later when the ball was still rolling for you guys. You were caught in an awkward position though, because so... I've told the story, but PCW was myself with Andrew Shellcross and John Newen, who you referenced. And we were able to leverage a lot of influence over the crew to get a large amount of the crew to leave. But there were some guys we took that were very good friends with Bobby J and that would, you fell into that category. Did you feel guilted? And was it like you would hurt your friendship by coming over to PCW? Did you have to go back just to keep that friendship? No. Bob never made me feel like that, to be honest. I, I felt like I uh, kind of wasn't the friend that I normally am when I'm your friend yeah. with uh, Bob at the time. And uh, since then, like uh, when I got married, he was in my wedding party. And we, we've had many ups and downs, uh, you know, 
playing in the I played in the sporting league and hockey was involved. But uh, in the end, we still go for a lunch. That's one of the guys in the business I still go grab a lunch with. So uh, yeah, back then I felt like I was kind of uh, hurtful to a friend at the time when he needed a, a guy like me around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and his, his roster, like uh, the thing was, he went out and got tons of shows and he didn't have a roster really at the time. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. He's going to get like uh, big shows, but he only had six or seven guys that he was able to work with because everybody else had went to PCW. Yeah, that was a pretty big political line and one that I sort of motivated and exploited. And, you know, there, a lot of people have taken me to task for that. I don't necessarily regret a lot of it, but one thing I do regret is that Bobby had been a very nice guy to me, gave me an opportunity, and to this day remains a nice guy, despite all the ups and downs I've had with him. I would love to go for lunch with Bobby, you know, like he's a hard guy not to like. And the one thing he has always said to me, he goes, Jay, if I was your age at the time, I would have done the same thing. So uh, that, that almost makes us feel like he understands what went on. Yeah. So TJ Bratt has been controversial. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. And uh, let's get into in that. A, in a very, in a very, in a business that, uh, uh, you know, I kept my mouth shut and I kept my ears open for so long. And when I finally uh, let it go, I think I should have turned it down a notch a few times for sure. Well, there were people who maybe weren't ready to hear it, but our business is, a lot of it is because we learn how to work as a baby face that sometimes we don't always unfilter it when we communicate with each other we try to communicate with each other as baby faces and sometimes the trust gets lost let's go into you being a loose cannon was that more than just a wrestling character would you say well if i said it wasn't then i'd be lying to you right Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things uh i'm actually a very calm man and i uh i i keep my life together uh the professional field i'm in now if i didn't keep it together uh, I wouldn't be able to be in it. So uh, it's kind of like you had referenced on your show in the past that uh, uh, it's just, I, I get very vocal and sometimes loud. And I've always been like that in school. Uh, it was always like that in the, on the hockey rink. And then it kind of transitioned to wrestling. And uh, like I said, after about two years of keeping my mouth shut, I kind of just haven't shut up uh, in the business yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brad, you mentioned that you've you've become a lot more calm as an indiv- individual. Is that just a product of time, of, of aging and maturing, or is it something you've had to actively work at to sort of keep the demons at bay? I don't have to work at it too hard nowadays, but in my late 30s, early 40s, for sure. And I remember one of my friend's dads growing up said, you're going to get to an age because he was kind of a, a hot-headed dad. And I remember him saying, no, he got to an age where it didn't matter if the, the red light turned uh, green a second earlier, a second late. And you kind of just learn to uh, pick your battles. And uh, like I said, if someone's ever going to mess with my family, I'm definitely going to speak up. But it's, that's about it uh, when it comes to the age I'm at now. So between 2001 and 2005, what were would you say were your career highlights in the ring before you got into the active role as a promoter wrestler? You know what? Being a tag team partner with Kerry Brown for almost a year and working uh, Ernie's tours uh, on the road there, just uh, tagging a lot with uh, it was myself, Stardom, and Kerry Brown, or myself and Kerry Brown. And I, I idolized Kerry Brown as uh, weird as that sounds growing up, going to local shows. He uh, was the one heel that I said, Oh, I wouldn't want to mess with that guy. And when we got to tag together, it was a dream come true. I'd say that was a highlight. And then, uh, you know, it's just living the dream, as they say. When you're that little kid down there watching on your mom's TV and your dad's TV at eight years old and you get to do that for five years, and I was actually traveling and getting paid to do it and going on tours and getting booked on uh, 
rebooked, which I think is a big, anybody can get booked. It's when you get rebooked, it means uh, the promoter has trust in you. So I, I was getting a wrestle in uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and keep busy, and it was fun. Yeah, fun, and you probably learned a lot too because eventually you took what you learned in ring and became a promoter. How how did you enjoy your life as a promoter? Loved it. I really, uh, it was the first time that I was able to uh, use my entrepreneurial, that's the word I'm looking for, hey, my <laughs> entrepreneurial. <laughs> I have the same problem with that word. And put them to use, and uh, I remember contacting the Hockey Talk Man for uh Sitting in uh, my, the first house my wife and I bought, contacting him and getting him for his $500 a night. and said, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to lose a Phoenix flight and uh, $500. So we made it work. And uh, uh, that's where my passion is. Because I still always, uh, when I talk to my son about the business, I ask him how the house was. And was it a good crowd? And do you think they'll get a rebook? I'm not asking what the match of the night was. So I think my heart's really in the promoting game. Yeah, the business end. So you started with just a phone call and a whim and a prayer with the honky tonk man and you said what could i lose i could lose five hundred dollars and i could lose a flight from phoenix and then you booked him how many times over 50 times i would bet you know what we did 10 tours together so on those tours sometimes uh, between working with other promotions we were going on two three week trips not necessarily working every night but he was in winnipeg and hanging out and then we go do another three shots and we kept very very busy uh, uh making money together was what was going on there and it was very good how how is the relationship with Honky man to man? Not necessarily as Honky Tonk Man the performer and TJ Bratt the promoter, but man to man. How did you get along with him? You know what? It was the first time that everything was good, and then we got together in 2011 and gave it another shot. And uh, that's when I realized he's just about business. The first time there was a lot of friendship going on, and uh, we were going to certain get-togethers here in the city and uh, stuff like that. But the second time around was all business. So yeah. It, He's a very, uh, he can go from being a real nice guy to a real moody guy real quick, depending on the situation that's going on. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, you talk about how business was really good when you guys were on tours. Were you making a living uh, promoting at that time? I wouldn't say like a full, full, but that's what I was doing. And uh, uh, you know what, at the time when that started, I think I was delivering pizza at night for a couple times a week just to put some cash in the pocket uh, for when shows weren't going on. Yeah. But then I was able to... Uh, I think by about 2006 is when I was making uh, just off promoting because uh, that's when I started take, uh, opening up doors. And I remember I took uh, a group to University of Manitoba, like just uh, out in a summer field for a uh, fun day or something like that. I started exploring different options where wrestling could go. Yeah. So did you ever like work on a business plan or was it just like you had a vision and you didn't really need it on paper? You just had it intuition wise? I, this might sound like a shot on the business, but when it, Unless you're you're going the level that you went the first time there, Mike, with WFX, I think it's a waste of time almost to do a business plan. You could do a quick budget. It's only a few numbers. Uh, but if you're planning on putting the money back into the business, I would have done a business plan. But it was coming just it was coming back to the household is what it was doing instead of uh, worrying about building the business. And I still think to this day I would never put too much money into the wrestling business because uh, there's other options. 
No, I definitely learned that putting too much money in, you're never going to get the return out, although it wasn't my money. is still, I was responsible for it. You're definitely right. The for-profit model per show is the safe way to do it. And if you're very, if you have the right intuition of what can sell 300, 400 tickets in a night, you can easily, well, not easily, but there's a profit to be had and a healthy one, as long as you stick to what you know and you keep your expenses in check and still deliver a product that people want to pay for. Um, it's, it's, it's not that complicated as a formula, although people have been known to complicate it. I don't think you're wrong about that at all. You brought in a lot of different names too. Like you had this this niche formula where it was like you wanted an 80s WWF name, like King Kong Bundy, Kamala, Sensational Sherry, Jimmy Hart. Um, I'm missing dozens of them. The Anvil. The Anvil, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, Honky. Yeah, you're exactly right. What I, when I look back at it, uh, King Kong Bundy, Sherry Martell, Kamala. Uh, you can correct me if you know, Mike. I don't think they ever came to Western Canada at all. No, and that was a big thing. The, uh, you had the Honkies and the Nighthearts and the Valentines that had been in, had been in DC, but uh, all those ones that I mentioned uh, had never been to Western Canada. And I even brought in Nicole Matthews before she got big first time here. I brought in Short Sleeves uh, Samson for first time to Canada, I believe, and. Uh, you know, things like that that I took pride in because then I'd be the first guy bringing them here to Winnipeg. How did you like negotiating? Oh, sorry, keep going. Yeah, you have something to promote at that time. And then when you're you're dealing with the radio stations or at the time the newspapers, they haven't dealt with these people before. So yeah. you, you're pretty sure 90% of the time you're going to get a new story or an interview because they want to meet them and talk to them because they've never been here. Yeah, definitely. Um, how did you like getting along with those guys? Did you find that most of them were, were great or did you have any interesting stories from any of those guys? Well, other than the, the beef that Honky and, I, uh, Honky and I had, they were all pretty good. Uh, the Greg Valentine no-show and me talking to his face at 6 o'clock in the morning and me keeping her on the phone for 40 minutes because she won't get him uh, was entertaining uh, and hard to deal with. But uh, pretty well, everybody else, you know what? If you pay them their money and they have a nice hotel room and you pick them up the airport, that's all they can ask from you because they're just there to work. Uh, it's when the maybe some of the bigger superstars want more than they uh, can get from a promoter. And then it turns into a headache. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, which one of them was the best to deal with? You know what? Kamala and King Kong Bundy. Bundy was a little outspoken on things that I would be outspoken about too, but then Kamala was just very quiet. But uh, other than that, uh, they were probably the best too. And was your, yeah. when you booked in Sherry Martel, was that her last appearance on a wrestling show? I think she did one more maybe in the States a month later before she passed. Yeah. But uh, I know for sure she hadn't been in Canada since her WWE uh, days or WWF days. So that was uh, kind of an honor in a weird way that uh, we had her up here and uh, that nobody had booked her before, which was kind of weird because she's an amazing talent. Yeah. How was she to deal with? Good? Good. She was in, uh, uh, as they say, a little rough shape as uh, some of the older guys and girls were. Yeah. And uh, you Oh, she had put miles on her body in the business, but uh, she uh, couldn't make it here for one show on the Friday night, but she got here for the Saturday. And I remember she had to go through lots of travel problems and uh, she could have just said, I'm going home. And she got here and did her show. Yeah. That's and, that- then, uh, and then I don't think you guys might've known this. I uh, do you remember Joey Royale. He's passed away. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. Joey. What a great, he was great. Yeah. I actually had a thing where I got him booked in the States uh, on the, uh, I, I, it might not be politically correct, but at the time it was called uh, Midget Extreme Wrestling. 
Yeah. And he ended up going, he ended up going down there for about two years. And the, the, I got that off the ground for him. And that's more about the promoting. That's why I brought it up. Uh, I took him from just what he was and we created a character and we got him booked down in the States. So. Yeah. I remember that he was working full time in, in, cause he had done, um, little guy basketball, although they use the M word for that. I won't say that word cause it's apparently apropos now, but he was, he made a living first as basketball and then went and did the, the wrestling on the, on the little guy tours. Right. Yeah. You know what? He was, uh, he was talking shells at, I think Best Buy or something like that. And he was, wasn't too happy and he wanted to get somehow wanted to, uh, get involved in something again that wasn't basketball mm-hmm. so we uh, shaved him up with a mohawk and we changed his name to uh, mike hawk <laughs> h-a-w-k and i gave him some promo i gave him some promo material gave him a vest and uh i said anything you get booked this is a funny story where i'm kind of shooting on myself i uh the deal was i'll be your uh, agent for 20 percent, and i'll try to get you on springer uh, Monday Night Raw, get you more bookings than just the, the federation that he was working at, uh, you know, four times a week or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he managed to make it down there and he sent me two checks and then he said, thank you very much. And I never heard from him for two years. <laughs> well, hey, most guys wouldn't even send you the two checks. So kudos to the yeah, late I, Mike. I, I got the two checks and then, you know, me, Jay wasn't happy. I thought this was a great thing going on, but at least you're right. At least I got the two checks looking back at it. Yeah. <laughs> most guys get their first job and say, hey, thanks. I don't need an agent anymore. Such a classic indie move. Do you oh, have- yeah, it was uh, 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 that, those are the things that still upset me a little bit in life. But uh, <laughs> I said the son of a gun, the, the son of a gun's down there, and he got me. He got me good. Yeah, he did. That's amazing, <laughs> little guy. Little memory when it comes to money. Um, do you, oh yeah. Do you have any regrets as a promoter? Like you had a successful thing going. How come? It, how come you stopped? You know what? Uh, 2007. I had uh, my daughter, who's now 15. I didn't have her. Obviously, my my wife did, and uh, we were. Uh, just at the point where I was seeing, I lost the money on the Sherry Martell show because we had the switch from double to park theater within about five weeks. And it just annihilated the gimmick of Sherry Martell being in a nightclub bar doing her thing and cutting a, you know, 18 plus promo for the guys. And it just kind of soured me out on it. And uh, then I opened up the pizza shop a couple of months later and kind of took that journey for three years. So it was, it's always about switching and going because right after the pizza shop, that's when I went back to promoting in 2011 and got uh, wrestling in the Red River X. I got them back in Canada Inns when there had been no wrestling in Canada Inns for many years. And uh, yeah, I was actually pretty proud of that to, to get those two places to allow wrestling again. Was that Cowboys? Yeah, that was Cowboys. Yeah, and, amazing uh, venue. It's a great venue. And uh, that's again where the business fell apart when I was doing something with uh, CWE. I look back on it now and I should have just done it on my own and uh I'm a Windsor Park boy, so it's one of those things that uh, could have went on for a few years, in my opinion. Yeah. So why at that time did you not do it solo? Because I know one of the things that would be hard, and I'm just going to level with you, one of the things that would be hard is TJ Bratt's going to do it his way. And from my dealings and knowing the CWE promoter, Danny Duggan, he's going to do it his way, and it's not always going to align. Did you not anticipate that there could be challenges? I look back at it now and I think I was just trying to babyface the wrestling business and yeah. not start another company up and start competing uh, because then it would have turned into the same stuff from 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. But I really should have done that and rented myself a ring from somewhere and put on the good shows like you talked about on your podcast because the venue was there. Uh, there was nearly 400 people the first time we had Honky Tonk Man there. Uh, every press was there that night. Like, it was a really good show and it kind of just went uh, downhill 
from there because Danny and I couldn't see eye to eye. Yeah, it's hard it, if you don't have one guy guiding the ship. You're gonna you're gonna have two people wanting to go in separate directions. Sometimes there's going to be conflict, and that's just. I think if you had if you had done it your way alone, you wouldn't have to answer to anybody, and I think you would have gotten more momentum probably. I totally agree with what you just said. It's a life lesson, and I've uh, that's why I don't go work for a real estate team now. I'm in the real estate business because uh, I am my own guy, and for me to go because somebody wants to have a meeting at 10 a.m. Uh, and I have to be part of that team. Uh, I just like to do things on my own so I can, uh, if there's someone to get mad at, I look in the mirror and it's me, it's nobody else. Yeah, I think that's much better. Now, you talk about being a realtor, and I know from my own experience now working with a foot, with a pro football team and, and some of the work I do outside of that, I always lean on my time from wrestling, how I dealt with people, how I anticipated conflict, how I learned to look between the lines when somebody gives you their word. It might not always be what, what you expect because that's in the wrestling business, you have to read between the lines. How is it in real estate compared to professional wrestling? Is there any comparables? Oh, there's heels that walk into open houses all the time just to be heels. <laughs> and oh, do you yeah. cut a promo that, on them when they sure. do it? Well, you know what? If they push me enough, I know how to get them out the door so I can deal with the, the real people coming in or the nice ones that just want to take a look and not cut a promo on me. Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> yeah, kidding. No, you know what? It's, uh, you're right, Mike. Wrestling, the wrestling promoting part built me as a businessman to learn how to run a small pizza shop and how to uh, be a realtor. And I always have things in the back of my head. I'm starting little small companies trying to do something. That all came from wrestling and that phone call to Honky Tonk Man in 2005 and starting it there. Before that, uh, uh, my family was brought up in the nine to five world. And I always thought that's what I had to do until I actually got into the promoting. And then I started dealing with the personalities and that's what taught me a life lesson. The wrestling part of it, I took it as a, like a hockey game. Like the locker room, you always had people that didn't get along. And some people tried too hard to get along. And there was so much politics when we, we were younger. Yeah. I would say that was the only negative thing in the business. The rest was positive. Yeah. The negativity was there's just wait, but we were all so young. Now I can look back at it. Like I got a 27 uh, year, year old kid. And uh, I, I remember what it was like when we were all 23, 24, 25. Yeah. Let's talk so, about your, <laughs> let's talk about your son, TJ Cannon, making a name for himself out in Alberta. If I'm not mistaken, he trained with heavy metal Harlan Abbott in top talent, correct? You know what uh, he did? He, was with Can Am and he was with the Bruce Hart camp there, but I don't know if it was Bruce doing any of the training, but he was there uh, doing his talking and uh, walking them through the drills. It was later on after he had some matches that he started training with heavy metal. And I saw him completely turn into a new worker. Uh, heavy metal taught him not to be afraid and to go with some moves that you might think aren't safe, but if you're taught how to do them, they're very safe. And uh, it added a lot of uh, moves to his uh, repertoire as they say <laughs> how does he like the business he loves it when we talk on the phone he reminds uh, we have talks because i think you'll know what i mean he he takes as many books i think he had 120 matches in his uh, first year and a half or 15 months like he just goes 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 he doesn't want to worry about uh, say getting a career job or anything and those are the talks that we have because it's all about Let's face it, Mike, remember, there, there's not much money in your pocket when you're trying to be an independent wrestler. No. He's living in Calgary with a roommate and paying his bills to live on his own. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could be the first to say my phone's not ringing for money from him. So he's doing something right. But uh, the, the, the part of the business that's hard now is where do you go from? Uh, where What am I getting at? Where do you go after you've had that fun fun time in the business and you've lived your dream yeah. and you still want to take it to the next level? 
it takes a lot to, to get to that next level. Yeah, he's, it's going to be all networking for him and then just chasing every opportunity. Last week I was asked about the three wrestlers from Winnipeg who didn't make it, who were good enough to make it. And I mentioned JT Atlas, Chichi Cruz, and Mentalo. And it was just a case of them not being in the right place at the right time with the right opportunity. And that's something TJ Cannon's going to come up on. He's you know, probably developing the skills very quickly, working that many matches, and he's around the right people in Alberta and doing shows in Manitoba, but he's going to have to be in the right place at the right time to chase the right opportunity. Maybe because you paved the road as a wrestler, you could impart some wisdom. What wisdom do you give him when, he, when that's what the crossroads he's going to come up to? You know what? I give him a lot of advice on things that guys gave me advice on, but in the back of in the back of my head, I wasn't pursuing that WWE dream like some guys were. Yeah. Um, so I never took the things that you should be serious about too serious because uh, I was naturally at the time uh, what a PCW and Pop Rope about two hundred and fifteen pounds. So I was able to take the bumps and get away with not going to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. I would I would roof for two days and get a tan, and uh, my arms would be a little sore because I was carrying roofing uh, shingles. You know, yeah. that's as far as things would go. I give him the advice on, uh, like when he started to get to his boots and he got boots and he got gear made and he's got a couple pairs of the pants that, uh, you know, that are, he can switch around on shoes, uh, on shows. The little things that guys were always hard on me about, mm-hmm. I gave him the advice to do. And, uh, the rest is up to him. I can't hold his hand and he knows that. And, uh, he doesn't want me to, he, he's kind of his own guy too. And I, I like that about him. Okay. So imagine it's 2003 and TJ Bratt encounters today's TJ Cannon, would you like him? Would you take him under your wing? Or would you think, hey, this I, I'm not a fan of this guy? You know what? I, that's a, <laughs> You put me on the spot there, Mike. That's a good one. He, he's, a, he's a very quiet kid at first when, you, when you're in the locker room with him until he gets to open up a little bit. So maybe that quietness might uh, scare away a few uh, uh, co-wrestlers or promoters. Yeah. But he's, very, he's just a really good, good kid. That's the best way to say it. He... Uh, he wants the uh, happiness, and he's he's never negative. And uh, if I bring out a little of my 1980s, oh, you know, if I did that to my dad, he reminds me that it's not 1980, <laughs> and uh, and that uh, you know this is the way it is now. So he's got his opinions, but he's quiet at the beginning, and his opinions are good ones. He, he's he's not outspoken for no reason once he gets going. Excellent. So I met you in the yeah. summer of 2020. So it's 22 and a half years ago that I met you. Looking back, all those years. You my first day off in the business, Mike. I did. It was in Brandon. I lost my shirt on that yeah, show. I, yeah, but you walked in the back there. I wrapped all the matches. Do you remember that? And it was a hot one in there. Yeah. And uh, you handed me 17 bucks and changed. Well, and I, I said, this, guy, <laughs> this guy's a good I said, this guy's a good man. <laughs> you drove I, four I, hours I, round trip. Yeah. Yeah, yep, so 17 bucks back then, I was okay. I almost pulled in five bucks an hour. Oh, I lost my shirt on that show. I still, when I look back, I still wince at that one. Uh, I thought I had a guarantee, and the guarantee got pulled the day before, and I was told I was working off the gate, and it was like, ugh. Um, well, look at that as being the first payoff. I will say this. You and I have had a lot of history. We've had a couple arguments on the phone and stuff, but you've always uh, used me in opportunities that you knew I would excel in. And uh, like I said, going back to the hockey coach part of it, not many uh, bookers do that. And it's not about always uh, pulling out the book and being a Tony Khan style uh, future reader. It's uh, bringing that hockey uh, mentality to the room where uh, when, I, when you saw Paul E. do it back in the day, yeah. guys work a little harder. You, you work a little harder naturally if, if your leader is behind you. 
if your leader's not behind you, you're just working for yourself. Well, the biggest mistake I made locally between 1999 and 2005 when I started AWE was in 2002, I knew you were getting disconnected and I didn't work harder to connect you because I had big plans for where TJ Bratt would fit in that roster when we, when we recruited you. But I didn't, I, I put it on myself. I didn't, here I had the asset, the number one babyface from the year before, but because the whole plan was, hey, Will Damon's going to become that top babyface, I wasn't, it, it, it's like, if you remember at that time, sorry, to, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that's very obscure, but at that time, Chris Paris was the second heel. I didn't work hard on that second heel because the money was in that main event angle. So I was always worried about building the main event and then all the guys underneath just build the show stronger and you can start to interchange them later so i i i i'd sensed that you had been disconnected and i was like well you're either going to buy in or you're going to get out and and essentially you got out as opposed to buying in and that was a failure of me as a leader because i really think i had i had all the ponies in 2002 as a booker and then we got cruise later that year but bobby j stops you know what Uh, sorry to cut you off but now that i i go back and i i'm on a site that's when the rope snapped on me in Saskatoon. And uh, when I came back, the, the, the TJ Cannon was only six years old. Yep. And something just snapped in me that said, hey, you're, uh, you've done your wrestling and it's time to be a dad. Yep. And uh, that's when I moved to Lactabani. He came and lived with me for 11 weeks. Uh, it was a big transition in my life. And I remember getting on the phone after I'd have a couple MGBs and I would phone you. And I would try to get on the show, the PCW. And I'd wake up the next morning and say, well, what the hell am I doing? And I did it once or twice to you. And you said, you know what? Uh, I don't think this is going to work out. And I just was missing the business at certain times, not every day like you should be if you're in the business. So there's, there's a little history lesson there. Yeah. And now TJ Cannon's going on 27. So it's 20 years back. And that, that's why certain things happen. And you, uh, yeah, you, you really did try back then. And I, I was like a cement wall. Well, it was, we're both pretty stubborn and we're both pretty sure of ourselves. So I could see how we would have the odd battle. Um, last question today, and it, cause I really want your son to do well. How would Mike Davidson in 2002, 2005 and 2010 respond to your son, TJ Cannon? Where would I put him on the show? Oh, oh, two, oh, five. Okay. So oh, two, that would have been in a, you know what? He would have been, uh, he would have been in some sort of tag team, I think in oh, two. Yeah. And you, you would have put him in there with, uh, I don't know. I, 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 Ronnie attitude came to my mind, something like that. At the time, you know, young guys getting the the girls uh, in the crowd going a little bit in Oh five. I don't know. uh, I think you would have, this is just since we are being honest, I think you probably would have threw them in the the, what 20 man rumble there that everybody else is in. Big O was in there and I loved the big O. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and so was Axe. But in 2010, you, you would have done a gimmick with them. Yeah. Is the best way to say it. you would have figured it out with them by then because that was a big gap from 02 to 2010. Yeah. And uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, BSing you, you, when you're in WFX, you're basically running uh, one of the top companies in North America in wrestling and dealing with all those personalities, not just one of them at the airport. You, you had about seven or 10 of them at all times and you had to deal with them on a, one-to-one basis but 10 times over yeah i was lucky sean brown did a lot of the work there getting getting to the airport and get, calming them down because he the, he would be their first impression of winnipeg and he was just very good at making them laugh and loosening them up and then he would send me a text telling me what kind of personality i was about to deal with so i could go in and break the ice a little smoother it was a it was a good system we had but uh, i appreciate gonna, you saying uh, that 
yeah, I'm going to tell you just, uh, as they say, the funny stories in wrestling, sometimes uh, it's all about what happened locally and stuff. But I'll tell you a good one with Jim Neanderthal, Nightheart, God bless him. He was a very easy guy to deal with uh, on the shows. Uh, never gave me a problem. But uh, I remember the night, uh, the tour started on the Thursday, so I had to leave him alone at the Travel Lodge for the Saturday. And let's just uh, say he, he was on the machines and he was having a little bit of whiskey at about 10 a.m. And uh, the show wasn't until 8 p.m. that night. Oh, no. He, he managed to get three $200 withdrawals from the front desk at the travel lodge before I got a phone call saying, what's this guy uh, up to? Oh, no. He filled it to the promoter. So you didn't have to well, pay. Well, you know it. what? Yeah, 2005, Jim Nightheart had some pull. He just had to grab that go see a few times and they knew who he was. So, But he got... Uh, 600 bucks before they gave me a call and uh, I just took it out of his pain yeah. and argue his, his exact words were J.O. I'm sorry I thought they were running the show but <laughs> he knew what he was doing he knew what he was doing and uh, Honky Tonk Man always had to have a bottle of Screech as soon as he got off that plane and sometimes Screech is hard to find in Winnipeg so uh, yeah those are the funny stories of, that I uh, I laugh about whenever I get a chance to think about wrestling amazing thank you so much for coming on the Bishi show I know you waited in a couple extra weeks than you wanted to but I knew it was going to be the right time to have you on and I'm glad you came on today well thanks Mike and Chris uh, we didn't chat too much on here but I remember you coming on the IWM shows I think you did about three of them yeah yeah and, that's, uh, that's right and uh, yeah uh, Rob had yourself on there and I think uh, Corey Kolbosch were his students uh at the time, and he did a couple IWM shows, so that's cool to to remember as well. Uh, uh, Brad, before we let you go, that that kind of brought up something to me. For me, do you remember hitting somebody with a glass platter at IWM and it shattering? Do you recall that? It's a, you know what? This it's a strong a, memory a for story. me. Yeah, and you know what? I, I really didn't like that that happened, but it, uh, now that everyone is okay from it. Uh, I do have a chuckle when people ask if wrestling's real or fake, and I tell them that story because, honest to God, that was a, a mistake on a myself who was considered a veteran at the time. I grabbed that bowl, and I honestly thought it was a plastic bowl. <laughs> yeah, and I hit Reggie Gallagher over the head with a full glass uh, uh, catering bowl and cut him up from one back of his head to the front. He was split wide open, and oh. let's just say I killed the I killed the crowd with one uh, one bull shot. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! I was on the show. I was out there for some reason. I can't. I think it was part of some part of some other angle. And I watched it happen. And I saw this shatter. And it was. And when I say shatter, like it it shattered. Like it went everywhere. Oh man! And, and the neat thing was Eddie Watson. I had booked Eddie Watson that show, and that's the second time that he had to deal with blood uh, with me involved. He actually just said to Gallery, he goes, ah, it's just a little bit of blood. You're all right. I'll never forget that. And we just ended up taking our uh, gear off and going on with it. And then once that Georgie, Shane Madison, hit me in the back and the bar stool broke before it, it came to my head, it was none of his fault. And I took the metal in the back and got busted open. And he did the same thing Eddie Watson. He said, ah, it's just a little bit of blood. You can take it. So that's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of neat that uh, Eddie Watson knows when it's serious and when it's not. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Eddie Watts was amazing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, th- okay, once but again. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's when the Canadian loose cannon gimmick really took off, to be honest, because, hey, I was grabbing bowls, but I didn't even know where uh, glass. <laughs> and before we let you go, how should people who want to buy or sell a house get in touch with you? Well, they can look me up all over the internet now. I'm, uh, I'm your, your down-to-earth realtor in Winnipeg. Uh, that's my uh, slogan I go with because uh, I don't really like the BS. Let's get to the point point, get you a house. Two zero four eight zero five three triple five in Winnipeg. 
I've sold uh, a few homes for past uh, some of the boys and done a lot of business with them. So, so it's, or, and when you're looking for a house, it's free to work with me. So a lot of people don't. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that they go work with some stranger they don't know, and uh, they make the payday. So come and see me, and uh, I'll give you some of that payday back. Awesome! Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show, guys. And I'll be listening weekly to. Uh, you know what? I'm a father, an old old man now. But when I listen to your show, uh, I get a little tinkle in my uh, arms, and I I start getting memories back. That's good. Awesome. Thank you. 20-year Canadian indie wrestling veteran Rob Stardom has done it all. Wrestling in Japan, Mexico, and many places in between. But he's winding down his career. He's not done yet, though. Follow along on the journey of Canadian strong style Rob Stardom as he checks a few more things off his bucket list. Check out the Rob Stardom vlog on YouTube. Just go to YouTube.com and search Rob Stardom vlog. And don't forget to leave a comment saying the Total B She's podcast sent you. And now it's time for the Mary Brown's mailbag. Mary Brown's crave delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's chicken. And who only uses Manitoba-grown potatoes hand-cut in-store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in-store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money-saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's chicken. Crave delicious. All right, Mike, this one coming into the Facebook page from James. And James just happens to be... uh, Local legend Dave Dixon. Oh, Sugar Daddy. Sugar Daddy. He was a great local wrestler. He asked, can you please have Mike tell the story of when him and plumber Lou Dooley slash friendly fisherman Carver Gleason (laughs) won the tag titles at Valley Gardens Community Center? Valley Gardens Community Center is infamous because that's where Thelma Crow went missing before she ended up ultimately getting killed. Oh, really? I didn't know I was wrestling. Way to in the bring middle. down the vibe. Yeah, I, I had no idea that I was wrestling in a place that would be infamous for crime soon after. Yeah, well, that's pretty much Winnipeg. Yeah, um, Carver Gleason. So here's how this went down. It's a little bit of a lengthy, lengthy story, uh, but it's worth it. So I came back from being a television sports anchor in Brandon at CKX TV, and I didn't really want to do much with the business, but. It was Vance, talk, Shane Madison talked to me, geez wheeze, and then Vance kind of opened up the door and said, why don't you do it? And I said, I would only do it if I could do a character where I'm hard on my luck and I basically talk about almost like Alcoholics Anonymous, only I want to be jabroni. I'm right. a jabroni and, and hi, I'm Mike and I'm a jabroni. And everyone says hi and I talk about all the things in my life that are going wrong that are making me a jabroni. And it works so well that I actually went around the ringside and people gave me change. Oh, that's cool. So I was making money off of it. And so I looked at, I I remember I went to Vance and I said, I would like Carver Gleason. And like, I picked two guys that were very underneath guys. And I I wanted it to be like a faction. And I think Trent Nash might've been one of the guys, but he didn't want to do it. And he, he said, no, it's not for me. So Carver Gleason and I did it. And from the first day we started teaming up, he would ask me every time, could you see us winning the tag team titles? And I was like, I've never been asked this before. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was hilarious. He's like, I could see it. 
I see the potential. And I was like, we're like a, we're like a jobber tag team. <laughs> like, how are you seeing tag team gold? But that's all he cared about. He got into the business because he badly wanted to be a champion. Yeah. Like he wanted to be, he wanted gold. <laughs> so around this time, Vance was going to be transitioning out and he was the tag team champion with TJ Bratt. And uh, they were explicit content. So he's going to be leaving the territory. And I thought, okay, well, we need, I was going to go to the tag team of Will Damon and Donnie DiCaprio, also heels, to be the next tag team champions. So the initial idea was Carver and I, as Jabronis Anonymous, were going to win it in a fluke and lose it very quickly. Yeah. So we're obviously just transition guys. As a booker, I didn't want to put myself over for a belt. But uh, so then... Carver was like, he, I might as well have given him seven numbers on Lotto Max, right? Like this was better than a Lotto Max, winning Lotto Max ticket to him. So I said, yeah, we're going to win the tag team titles. And he, he couldn't believe his eyes or, or his ears, <laughs> whatever. Cause I, I told him I didn't show him. So that night Vance and, and Brat are going to do the honors and put us over. And I'm taking all the heat in the match. All he has to do is clap his hands or stomp his foot. So while I'm selling, the people get behind him, behind me. But he didn't. So I'm bumping, selling, bumping, selling. And I'm like telling him, clap your hands, damn it. And Vance is trying to get him like to clap his hands and he would do nothing. Oh my. So finally I tag out and they cut him off so that I could fire up the people so we can hit a comeback. So I've tagged out from taking all the heat. I'm supposed to tag him in and then go into a hot comeback and take it home. But I had to tag out to get the to get the heats for the hot for the tag. Yeah, because so, he he was a great big guy, was he? Not? Yes, he was. And I could bump and sell and get sympathy, right? So it, what didn't it really went off the rails when I had to tag out to fire them up so I could tag back in to take it home. Yeah. Uh, but we went over for the tag belts and we're the new TRCW World Tag Team Champions, and it's great honor actually if you think about it. But. We get to the back and I'm yelling at him. Like I am furious with him. Why in the world did you not clap your hands or listen or anything? And he doesn't hear me because he goes right to the mirror and he's looking at himself with the belt. Oh my God. And I am now furious. And like I'm yelling at him and he doesn't care because he's having the happiest moment of his life. So finally, Jeez Weez goes up to him in the mirror and says, man, you must feel like Shawn Michaels. Like, this is a boyhood dream come true. And he, he looked at him very seriously and said, and then some. Oh, my. And I was like, oh, my God. So I said, you know what, Carver, take my belt with you because I don't want to, like, I, didn't, I don't want to have to carry a belt to the next show, right? Yeah. So he has both belts. He wears them because it was my birthday that weekend, so we were all going to Buffalo Bills for drinks. He wore both belts to the bar. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It just kept getting worse and worse. So I called Vance and I said, like, I got to take the belts off of us. And he's like, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, well, Tuesday night, because this was Friday, Tuesday night we're at Valley Gardens and and we lost them or we won them at Valley Gardens and lost them at East Elmwood Community Club, I think it was. Anyway, so I get to the show and, and Carver doesn't want to come in the locker room because he wants his girlfriend to come take pictures of him with the belt. So he's waiting and after we won the tag belts, he sat in the crowd with the belt oh. for the main event. So everything he could do wrong, he did. I love the guy. I should not, it sounds like I'm crapping on him. So anyway, so I said to Vance and Brat, like, listen, we're going to, we're going to get you guys back on top. So I said, like, just force a pin on him. Right. Like I didn't even have enough respect for him to take the pin, even though I would have gladly taken the pin. But yeah. I told him like, get him, get him and pin him. So every time Vance goes to shoot a pin on him, 
Gleason's kicking out with all he's got. He does not want to lose the tag team titles because he hasn't been told by the booker. I was the booker. He hadn't been told we were losing. You hadn't told him? No, because... Oh, you just wanted to he break was, this poor guy's heart. Because he was unprofessional. So, uh, so finally I say to Mike Pfaff, the referee, and he's the listener of the show, he will confirm this. The next time he... Can, I said, the next time he goes down, I don't care what he does, you count to three, one, two, three, and get us out of here. So, boom, Vance pins him. One, he kicks out hard because he knows Vance. He thinks Vance is trying to double cross him. And one, two, three, ding, 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 <laughs> new tag team champions, explicit content. And so I'm in the ring and I'm like, Carver, I think they screwed us. <laughs> Did he go after him? Yeah, no, he didn't go after him. We get to the back and then Vance and Brad are celebrating. And I'm like, I'm yelling at Vance. I can't believe you shot your own finish, you egotistical prick. And I'm doing this for Carver and he's just sitting there having a nervous breakdown. Bobby J comes in and finally breaks the ice that it was supposed to happen. And Carver had no idea. Like it was a heartbreaking journey for him because extreme high, extreme low, but it was because he wasn't a very good professional after we won. So that, and you know, speaking of the person who asked the question was Dave Dixon. It reminds me of when I left PCW, it was him and I in a loser leaves town match. And you lost. I, of course I did. I'm not, no longer in PCW. Um, but he, he did a senton on me and he landed incorrectly um, oh, no. on my stomach and like literally crushed my organs and he was pinning me and, and it hurt so bad. It was the most intense pain of my entire life because he landed directly on my organs. Basically. Oh no. So I, like I'm trying to get out because I'm so hurt and he's pinning me for the finish and they do the three and I roll up to the floor and I lay on the floor and I, Oh, like I'm just, I'm just, were you supposed to go over? No, he was supposed to, <laughs> he was supposed to win, but he I made sure I almost kicked out is the point when I got to the, because I, it hurt so bad. I was trying to, trying to get out. Right? You just didn't want to do the job. No, uh, yeah, of course. I didn't want to do the job for, for Dave Dixon. We get to the back. He's like, you almost kicked out. He's like, that was good. And I was like, it's because you were crushing my guts. Oh, my. But anyways, I don't blame him for that. But it's just a, fu- it's just a funny memory that came up when you mentioned that he kept trying to kick out. Yeah. Because Dixon got to the back. He's like, you were really trying to kick out really hard. Oh, man. Um, so next question. Yes. How, do we, how do they ask the questions? Remind them. This one's a hashtag. Hashtag yeah. Mary Brown's Mailbag on Twitter. You can ask your questions that way, and we will find And them. they can email us, too. Email us, totalbeeshees at gmail.com. On Facebook and Instagram, totalbeeshees. Again, this one, hashtag Mary Brown's Mailbag. Mike never talks about Billy Gunn even though they were obviously extremely close in WFX. Why no love for Daddy Ass? I love Daddy Ass. Uh, I don't talk about Billy Gunn because the way it ended. Yes. And it didn't end badly because I still loved him when it was over. So WFX ended in fall of 2010, and I don't want to go out of respect for one person not involved in that situation whose personal life is affected by if I talk too much about the situation, I don't want to go too much into it out of respect for one person who was not involved. One person. Who was not involved. Yeah. So, but. One. Yeah. No, not Billy. (laughs) No, I know that. But uh, what ended up happening was Billy got into some personal turmoil Mm. in Winnipeg and uh, I was going to stand by him, right? Like he was my guy. But some conspiracy theorist named J.C. Dirksen, who is a pathological liar, and if he doesn't like it, sue me, because I'll go to court and prove all the times he's lied. He decided to tell people close to Billy Gunn that 
it was all Mike Davidson pulling the strings to cause all this drama and turmoil in, in Billy right. Gunn's life. And that was not true. I was trying to guard him from it, but it led to, for the sake of Billy's personal life that him and I couldn't remain close friends because JC Dirksen's a pathological liar. And, um, so the friendship ended in 2010 and, um, you know, I, it's really I, too I, bad. I owe the guy a lot because WFX and every piece of success derives from Billy Gunn becoming a free agent and joining us and working his tail off and being amazing. I can't be happier for daddy ass to see him on TV every Wednesday. The one of the most entertaining guys on their show right now, yep. if the elite could do what the acclaimed and daddy ass did with the scissoring and, and the, uh, and the drill sergeant promo yeah. that we talked about earlier, they would be a lot better for it. That's truly entertaining and very, very funny. It makes me want to watch the acclaimed matches. Um, they're the current AEW Tag Team Champions. He is like s- almost 60 years old. Yeah. He was born in 1963. Phenomenal shape. And he looks like a million dollars. If Ric Flair could do that and anti-age as Billy Gunn does, it would be great. But back to the point, I love Billy Gunn. I just don't talk about, I don't talk about him enough, but if I ever do, it's in glowing terms. I just, J.C. Dirksen really... Like I have nothing good to say about him. He, anybody who's ever crossed paths with him, who got to know him, has a story of him lying. There's a story about him working as a bouncer at a live. Somebody lit a smoke, and, the, and there's a, obviously no smoking rule in all of Canada. And somebody else had to go tell the guy put the smoke out, and he just didn't know because he was from Quebec. So, and somebody went up to him and said, "Dirksen, why didn't you tell the guy to?" put that smoke on. I couldn't believe my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you still, the guy was still smoking. Yeah. So even if you couldn't believe your eyes, you still probably smelt the cigarette smoke. There's just so many stories like that. And like, that's how bad his, his word is worth. Um, but if he doesn't like it, sue me. Cause I would love to go to court and prove how many times he lied. JC Dirksen, if you want to fire back at Mike Davidson, No, he's like Adam Knight. He won't. Well, actually, you know what? I should not have said this because he's the type of guy that's going to do something. Like he's the guy that, okay, sorry to go off on a tirade here. I'm I'm, I'm sort of pushing It's well believed that, so Ernie Todd has always believed that I sent an email to Ernie Todd's wife. It later came out that that was more than likely J.C. Dirksen, right? So that's just the type of person he was. Right. Right? Like trying to affect people's personal lives. Like I have no respect for that. Like if I pull a rib... Although Roke would be, we're still not sure, but I didn't do it. Danny did. <laughs> and, but, and Pepito hitting the ring. Like I didn't do it. Danny did. Right. But it's just, uh, I could go on and on all day, but Dirksen, you know what? I'm, I, I usually wouldn't talk about Dirksen. The question was about Billy Gunn. I love Billy Gunn. I just have no respect for JC Dirksen. Lots of love for Billy Gunn and none for JC Dirksen. That's another week. And lots of love for Glenn Goza. Lots of love for Glenn Goza. Play us out, baby. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock? I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Eriks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. 
going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Why well, wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon? <laughs>